Alive this morning? Yes, he is. Is your, wife, is your life worth living because of that? Amen. Amen. I don't know what mountains you're, you're faced up with right now. I don't know what struggles and what burdens you may be bearing. Um, but all of those things melt like wax before the presence of God. He is the living God. And it's to him that we, we come. And so I, I want to encourage us just now, as we pray and as we study the Bible, that we would really turn our hearts to the living God. This is not just a God that we think of as a nice concept and will warm our heart. No, this is the living God. All right, so let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we want to hear from you. You are the God who is not dead. You are the God who lives today. And Father, we pray that you would open up our eyes and open up our ears because they have been dulled, whether by our own doing or just the circumstances surrounding us. Lord, there are burdens we bear today that no one else sees but you. There are struggles we face today that no one understands but you. And so we want to come to the living God today. Thank you for the promise. In Psalm 55, 22, cast your cares upon the Lord and he shall sustain you. He will never suffer the righteous to be moved. And so, Lord, we're, we're casting our cares to you today. And as we open up the word, we're praying that you would open up our hearts. As we open up the word, we pray that you would give us ears to hear what it is that you want us, not just to know, but you want us to live. So give us words of life today, we pray. In Jesus' name, let the family say, Amen. Amen. Go with me to the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 4. This is where we ended our message last week. We have been um, journeying through a sermon series together, DNA of Discipleship. DNA of Discipleship, and we've gone through parts 1 through 4. Today is part 5. It's actually the conclusion of our, of our mini-series here. So I want to just kind of pick up where we left off last week. Malachi chapter 4, and it's the last two verses of the Old Testament. Malachi comes right before Matthew. Now you remember, if you've been here with us throughout this seminar, DNA of discipleship, we've been talking about discipleship as the very core of, of what and who we are as a church. Discipleship is not a program. Discipleship is not an event. It is our DNA. Do you understand the difference there? DNA are those uh, molecular, uh, what do you call those? Um, stuff, yeah, that stuff within each cell, within each chromosome. It's what dictates the expression of the living organism. DNA is at the very core of our identity and it dictates our behavior. So discipleship, that's exactly what it is. Discipleship is not something we plug and play. Discipleship is not something we give attention to every now and then. Discipleship is what we as a church are about. Okay? All right. So DNA of discipleship, we've covered it from parts one through four. What is it that we are called to? And then we've looked at the cornerstone commitments that when Jesus calls his disciples to follow him, these are the commitments that he's calling us to. Commitment to Christ, commitment to growth, commitment to prophecy, commitment to the second coming. You remember those cornerstones. If you don't, you can pick up a sermon. Just talk to our sound technicians, and, or you can go to our online website, yeah, where our podcast is posted there. Anyways, um, and so these are commitments that God is taking each and every one of us through, and if we're not being led on that journey, 
then why not start today? Yeah. Right? And these things only happen, part three of our seminar, of our, our mini-series, part three was talking about how all of this discipleship only happens in the context of true community. It's only safe. It's only going to grow where there's loving as Christ loved us. Remember, we talked about the difference between human love and the way Jesus loves. We love in such a way as we love those things that we know we're going to get some return. But God loves in a way where he is not out for what he can get, but what he can give. And it's only in that context of self-sacrificing, agape love, that all of these commitments can even happen. And then last week, we found that when it comes to actually wanting to make disciples, the Old Testament gives us a template of discipleship that is home-based. From generation to generation, from father to son, mother to daughter, and it's not just biological father to biological son, but spiritual father to spiritual son. So generation to generation is not just talking about literal age, but also spiritual experience. Do you remember this? Yeah? And so we talked about, hey, wait a minute, we need to be a church in which our hearts are turned to one another, seeking to disciple one another. And that's where we are. If you found Malachi chapter 4, say amen. amen. All right, Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 through 6, we saw how Elijah kind of spearheaded this in his day. And at the end of Malachi, there's a prophecy that Elijah, quote unquote, would return. What does this mean? Verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn what? The hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. The implication is that currently, hearts of fathers are going this way, and hearts of children are going that way. One generation wants this, another generation wants that, why not turn the hearts? And so today, I promised you that we're going to start talking about practical things of how to actually make disciples. What can I do? What principles can I put into practice? But if our hearts aren't even turned to one another, then all of that is just going to sound like blah, 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 blah. So here we are today. Key question, is your heart turned? Maybe you're a literal youngin. Okay, physically, biologically, you are young. Is your heart turned enough to those that are older around you that you are humble enough to listen? Maybe you are in age older. Is your heart even turned to those who are younger to want to minister and invest in them? Spiritually speaking, maybe you've been around for a while. Okay, maybe you are spiritually mature. Is your heart turned to those that are spiritually immature? If you are spiritually inexperienced, would you be humble enough to let somebody invest in you? Are your hearts turned this morning? And if they are, what can I do now? What can I do now? And that's what we want to study today. The DNA of Discipleship Part 5, getting into the boat. Getting into the boat. So here's what we're going to do. Today we're going to study the example of Jesus, because he was the master disciple maker, right? So we're going to this story in Luke chapter 5. So go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 5, and we're going to look at one experience of Jesus. Jesus is going to give us some 
some principles to put into practice. And I want us to see this. We're just going to go at a snail's pace today through Luke chapter 5. And we're going to sit right here in this passage. Luke chapter 5, and we're going to read from verse 1 through 11. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. If you're there, say amen. Amen. Okay, so here we are. We're going to take a look at Jesus' example. We're going to look for practical things. What can I do? What can I imitate? Now, I'll be honest with you that as we go through this, this you're going to start envisioning your own relationships of influence. You're going to say, okay, who... Who can I influence or who can I be influenced by? Who can I invest in and what can I kind of imitate from Jesus' example? Now this can, can apply to those relationships, relationships of influence within your household. Okay, father, son, mother, daughter, big brother, little brother. Okay, this can apply to within the household. This can apply to relationships of influence within the household of faith. This can also apply to relationships without the household of faith. In your neighborhood, there are relationships of influence. How can you disciple those? All right, do do we understand that today? Because a lot of times when we think of the word discipleship, we think of it on the the other side of the baptistry. When in reality, discipleship actually encompasses both sides of the baptistry. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, when Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, that means that discipleship happens pre-baptism and post-baptism, okay? And so we're not just talking about, again, we're not just talking about an event, we're talking about a process here. Okay, so here we are. We're looking at Luke chapter 5, and you know what? You've got paper, uh, maybe in your bulletins or something, go ahead and start taking notes, because we're going to make some bullet points here, okay? And... um, Even before we start taking notes on the things that I share, I want you to write something down. I want you to write down a name, or maybe there are multiple names. A name of someone that God is calling you to influence. A name of someone that God wants you to disciple. Maybe this past week you've been praying, Lord, who are you turning my heart towards? Maybe it's someone who is a generation in age below you. Maybe it's someone who in a generation in experience is behind you. And you just want to, to turn to them. You want to invest in them. Write down their names right now. Okay, go ahead and write down their names. If you don't have a name, pray for a name. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> because when Jesus says go make d- disciples, he's not just talking to a few people in the church to do it. He's talking to everybody to do it. Which means that even if you're not spiritually experienced, if you have some spiritual experience, there's someone who's at some point less experienced than you. Okay? So maybe you are spiritually young. I I need to be discipled. Sure you do. But maybe there's still someone that you can disciple along the way. Is that possible, yes or no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. I think so too. Okay, good. (laughs) All right. So write down that name. And here we go. We're going to dig into this. And we're starting in Luke chapter 5, verse 1. We're going to see the actions that Jesus takes. And we're going to pull out principles for making disciples. Here we are. Luke chapter 5, verse 1, the Bible says, and I'm reading from the New King James. The Bible says, So it was, as the multitudes pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. Okay, so here we are, setting the, the movie, so to speak, in our minds. Lots of people eager to hear the word, pressing in on Jesus. And in verse 2, the Bible says, And Jesus, 
saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Do you see the wheels turning in Jesus' mind? Yes. Jesus sees these boats, and what's he going to do? Verse 3, then he got into what? One of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. What is Jesus doing? Okay, so we're just going to stop right here. Jesus' first action, when he sees this whole dynamic happening, he sees one of the boats, and what is his first step? He gets into one of the boats. Action number one, Jesus gets into one of the boats. And whose boat is it, by the way? Simon, we all also call him Peter. Okay, this is Simon Peter. Jesus' first step in making Peter a disciple is to get into his boat. Here's principle number one if you're taking notes. Principle number one is the principle of presence. Not presence gifts, but presence, your presence. Uh, me being there, your presence and proximity. So that's principle number one, the principle of presence. Why? Because discipleship doesn't happen at a distance. Discipleship doesn't happen at a distance. In other words, it requires relationships. It requires proximity. And relationships start with presence. It starts with being there. That's why, you know, last week we read that verse in Deuteronomy chapter 6, you know, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And these commandments which I command you today shall be in your hearts, and you shall teach them diligently to who? Your children. Why? Why? Because they're in your presence. Okay? That's the first step. That's why it's so natural to start within the home, that home-based model of discipleship, because the very first principle is the principle of presence. But we all know that it's very easy to be in close proximity with somebody and still be worlds apart. Have you ever experienced that? You've been around people, but you felt completely by yourself. Why is that? Because it, when we're talking about the principle of presence, we're not just talking about being physically present, although that's key, right? Because you need that physical presence. But it's not just being there with your kids. It's actually being interested in that disciple. Do you understand what I mean by that? And so we're going to tack on, you've written down principle of presence. We're going to actually tack on a word. So edit your your principle there. It's principle of interested presence, okay? The principle of interested presence. Or if you want to make it a separate one, you can make number two bullet point, or one B, the principle of interest. And here's what I mean. The principle of interest, it's not that you have to be extroverted. You just have to be interested. Are you interested in somebody? Not, and I guess that can be taken a, a whole lot of different ways. But are you interested in the well-being of that person that you are investing in? The key is genuine interest, to, tr- to attempt to understand them and their needs. And this is what, what, what Jesus was doing for Peter. He was interested. He chose. Did you notice how many boats he could have chosen? There were two there that day. Why would he have chosen Simon? Somewhere along the line, Jesus was interested in investing in him, and he was intentional to step into his boat because he wanted to be close to Peter. Now, why didn't Jesus go up to uh, the mountainside over there on the shore and just say, hey, Peter, come over here to me? Because that's part of being interested. You go to where they are. 
Have you ever noticed that if you really want to engage a young child, if you really want to interact with a young child, it's really hard when you're up here and they're down there. And so what do you do? Hey! You get down to their eye level. Spiritually speaking, when we are wanting to show interest in somebody, when we are wanting to engage in somebody, we need to meet them where they are. Now, does this give us permission to compromise spiritually? Yes or no? No. No, 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 no. What this does call us to is a certain level of humility where we are willing to get off our stilts of self-righteousness and come down to interest ourselves in the things that others are interested in. I had a friend. His name is Andrew Uyama. We started youth ministry together when I, yeah, when I was young. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> anyways, but this guy, Andrew, uh, he had been in youth ministry a few years prior to I had, and I remember just kind of working on some programs with him, and, and he would always turn it from the details of the program to the people that were going to be there. And I loved it. That kept me in check. And, and one practice that he shared with me is that when he saw somebody that, that he wanted to connect with, and he just didn't really, you know, he didn't know how to get into their boat, what he did was he would see the kinds of things that they were interested in, whether it was skateboarding or whatever. You know, back in the, this was, yeah, back in the day when skateboarding was cool. No, maybe it's still cool. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, but he said that he would go to Barnes & Noble and pick up those um, uh, dummies guide or idiots guide to whatever, and he'd start reading up on those things that the potential disciple was interested in. He made the effort to get into their boat. And this is what we're talking about, getting eye level. Not so that we can compromise spiritually, but so that we can show interest in them. On your notes, you can write down this um, reference, Ministry of Healing, page 143. Uh, it's a powerful little book. The Ministry of Healing, page 143, there's a paragraph there that says this, Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. Whoa, what is that method? The very next sentence says this. He mingled with men as one who desired their good. Wow. He mingled with men as one who desired their good, sympathized with them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence. What a recipe, right? And this is what we see Jesus doing. He's getting into the boat. He's mingling with Peter where he is, not calling him over here first. He's getting into his life. So he's showing genuine, personal presence, interested presence. Okay, so you got the first principle there? The principle of interested presence. And the truth is, all of this boils down to trust. All of this boils down to trust. Why? Because people will never care how much you know until they know how much you care. And we show that first by being available, by being interested, by being present, okay? That's principle number one. Go back to the story here. Luke chapter five, verse three. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. And what is the next step that he takes? And asked him to put out a little from the land. Jesus asks Simon Peter for a favor. Do you notice that? Jesus gets into his bubble, and he says, hey, can you help me with something? 
You know, Jesus has done this before. You think about the woman at the well that he encountered there uh, between uh, Judea and Samaria at, the, at, at Jacob's well. What was the very first thing that Jesus said to her? Hey, could you give me a, a drink of water? Jesus has this, he, when he shows interest in somebody, sometimes that interest is one-sided. And so what he'll do is he'll ask for a simple favor because trust begets trust. Do you follow that principle? When I trust some, well, maybe they're not wanting to, you know, maybe they're not open to me yet. Well, maybe if I open up a little to them, hey, I need some help. Could you please help me out? Then that gives them a reason to open up in response. And so here's principle number two. Principle number two in disciple making is the principle of simple trust. Okay? Or maybe you want to put the principle of simple favors. Okay? Now, this isn't saying, hey, would you wash my car for me because I'm just too lazy. No, that's not what it's saying. Uh, This is is, uh, just relying upon them for something that you genuinely need. What does this do? What this does is it sends a message to that individual saying, you know what? You're actually really valuable and useful. You contribute to my life. And did you know that people actually need to be needed? <laughs> did you know that? You need to be needed. I need to be needed. It's not like a, you know, an internal self-reliant type of thing. No, no, no. What this is just honoring is that, wait, this person has a valuable contribution to my life. And so what this does, when we take this step of asking for Peter to put out a little from the shore. It's a door opener. It's a door opener. Now Peter is more at ease with Jesus actually being in his boat. Are you thinking of that name that you've already written down? Are you thinking of ways that you can be present and interested? Are you thinking of ways that you can actually ask them to contribute to your life in a simple way? Are are you envisioning it yet? Okay, good. I hope so. All right, so action number three, what does Jesus do after he has Peter put out a little bit from the shore? We're still in verse three. Luke chapter five, verse three. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And number three, here it is. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Was Jesus doing something for Peter, yes or no? It's kind of a trick question. (laughs) In this, in this last sentence, it says, he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Who was Jesus focused on at that point? Crowds. Yeah, the crowds, not Peter. But was Peter present to hear and see what Jesus was, was doing and saying? Yes. So here's principle number three. It's the principle of demonstration. The principle of demonstration. Jesus just did his thing, and he let Peter watch. And the reason is that some things are better caught than they are taught. Okay? And so, when you are present with somebody and you are interested, if you are opening up doors by by showing, exchanging trust back and forth, now you're in a position where you can just live your life and the observation of the disciple upon your life will actually make an impression. And this is what was going on. Jesus isn't directly lecturing Peter, hey, this is how you ought to live your life, etc. But he is allowing him to see it, to hear it, to see what he's all about. In the same way, when you have that person that you are invested in and you're in their boat, by the way, this whole demonstration thing doesn't work unless you're in their boat, right? 
So as this is happening, and as you're in their boat, and, and you're just living your life, let your light so shine. Let your light so shine by what you say, by how you live, what you believe, even how you handle struggle. What? I can't, I, I don't have to be perfect in order to demonstrate the life of Christ. Did you know that the way you handle struggles actually makes an impact too? I remember learning this lesson very early on. I, we were doing the whole youth evangelism team thing and we were working with kids, getting ready for a program and stuff and I got word that my dad was sick, that he was hospitalized with, uh, with, with an, a complication in his lungs and I, I needed to drive very quickly down to, to Bakersfield and I just remember packing up my bags, just trying to like kind of pull myself together, trying to play it cool around the kids that we were working with and stuff. And, and as I left, I remember one of the kids kind of ran out and said, you're, you're at peace. You're at peace. And he kind of prayed for me as we went off. And I don't know, you know, the, the full impact of that, but what it did was, hey, I didn't have to be perfect around the kids they knew that I was struggling with something, and I didn't give them a ton of details, but they knew. And that's okay. When you've got disciples in your midst, it's not like you have to have it all together. But when you do struggle, they need to see that you can still walk through it. Okay? And so here's how we demonstrate. We, de we demonstrate what we live. We demonstrate what we say. We even demonstrate through our struggles. So we've got a few principles so far. The principle of interested presence. The principle of simple trust. The principle of demonstration. And now, let's take a look at the fourth. In verse 4, Luke chapter 5, verse 4, the Bible says, when he had stopped speaking, he said to who? To Simon. Okay, so now he's taking his attention off the masses. And now he's focusing his attention on Simon. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out where? Into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, I'm going to keep reading just a little bit, and then we'll back up. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught how much? Nothing. Nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat, the one that Jesus didn't step into, right? They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish. Their jaws were dropped down to the floor. Verse 10, And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Wow. Powerful story. And here, what, what is the principle here? I, 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 can't, I can't fill someone's nets miraculously with fish. What am I supposed to do about this? Okay, what's the principle? What, what's Jesus really doing here? Starting in verse 4 where it says, you know, that he stopped speaking and he said, launch out into the deep and, and let down your nets for a catch. What is Jesus really doing? And his, you know, if we were to get into Jesus' mind as a disciple maker, what is he thinking? What is he doing? He's encouraging him. Say it again. Letting him exercise faith. 
This is huge. Okay, okay. So, so Jesus is thinking, okay, let me give first, let me give focused attention. Let's get away from the crowds. I love how Jesus is very mindful of the setting, okay? When you challenge someone's faith, you don't do it in front of a crowd. You know what I mean? Okay. <laughs> when you want to encourage them and really make an appeal at their heart, you don't, you wait for that one-on-one -on -one time. And this is what Jesus does. Launches out into, okay, so maybe Jesus is getting the focused attention. Maybe Jesus is challenging his faith or confidence in him. And all of those things, I think, are, are correct. But as I was studying this, what dawned on me is that maybe Jesus really just wanted to fill his net. Remember, we looked at that story, John chapter 13. This goes back to that John chapter 13. Love one another as I have loved you. Well, how did Jesus love? He loved not for what he could get out of it, yeah, he wanted G uh, Peter's focused attention. Yeah, he wanted him to have more confidence in him. But Jesus was loving Peter just for him, to give to him. And what he had observed that day, you know, when he walked up to the shore, is that they had empty nets. They had empty nets at the beginning of the day. Fishermen aren't supposed to have empty nets at the beginning of the day. And here's Jesus, and he just wants to fill his empty net. And so here's the principle now. We've talked about the principle of presence, or interested presence, the principle of simple trust, the principle of demonstration. Now we'll talk this, we'll call this the principle of deep trust. The principle of deep trust. And how does that deep trust happen? It's as I want to fill that disciple's empty net. Look. And see, after you've been in their boat for a while, after you've kind of gotten familiar, what nets of theirs are still empty? And it's not that you're out to prove that you can fill their empty nets, but you're out to show that Jesus can satisfy their every longing. And that's what you're bidding them to. And going back again to that, that statement in Ministry of Healing, Jesus mingled with men as one who desired their good. He sympathized with them, ministered to their needs, won their confidence, and then he bid them, follow me. And that's exactly what Jesus takes Peter through. He goes through and, and he wants to take him to deeper trust. And so we're ultimately looking for ways where they will not just trust us, but where they, our disciple, the one that, that is uh, younger in generation of age or younger in generation of experience, we're wanting that person to find that they can trust Jesus just as I can trust Jesus. Amen. And that's very critical right there. Just as I can. You know, there's a statement. You can write this down. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. It's a whole bunch of ones. 1 Corinthians 11, 1. 1, 1, 1. 1 Corinthians 11, 1. A very simple statement that Paul makes. He says, imitate me. What? He tells the Corinthian church, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. When we're making disciples, yes, we want them to do what we do, but only because... What we do is what Christ does. Amen. Now that's a high calling. When we take up the call to make disciples, we must be committed to be disciples. If I'm going to call someone to trust Jesus with their empty nets, I must first know by experience what it is to trust him with my empty nets.
So this is the principle of deep trust. To, you're essentially calling them to walk the walk that you have just walked. To walk that road of trusting Jesus. Hey, if this net was empty, I've fished all night and caught nothing. <laughs> right? Say, so all self-sufficiency, I've just laid it at Jesus' feet. And you know what? I have abundant life in Jesus. My net's broke because of Jesus. And all of that happens as you demonstrate it. Okay? So the principle of presence, interested presence, get in the boat. The principle of simple trust. Hey, trust begets trust. It's a door opener. Ask for simple favors. Why? Because eventually you'll be able to take them as you demonstrate in your own life, that principle of demonstration, you'll be able to lead them to deeper trust, finding that they can truly trust Jesus. Wow. Very simple, very profound. And all of this, by the way, when we really make it our point to fill their empty nets, um, this is huge because at least this is big for me. This keeps us interested in their needs, not my own. I don't know how many times you've tried to bless somebody or you've tried to reach out to somebody and then that individual doesn't necessarily respond the way that you hoped or wanted. And I don't know if anyone else is like me, but I will kind of take that personal and be like, oh man, <laughs> wait a minute, this is not about me. Amen. You know, they made their choice, they did their thing, but it's not about me. If I'm truly interested in filling their net, I'm not looking for some sort of gratification and a pat on the back about it. No, I'm wanting to just fill their net. Yeah. And so this keeps us fully invested in the other person. So we've got these principles, you know, principle of interested presence, principle of simple trust, or simple favors, principle of demonstration, principle of deep trust. What's the next critical step? Of all these things, yeah, we definitely want to implement and incorporate and practice these principles in our disciple making, but what's the critical thing? What's the, the, the most immediate, the most urgent thing? I would say it's the very beginning. Because asking for simple trust and you know, asking for simple favors and demonstrating and, and calling for a deeper trust, that's not going to mean anything if you're way over here and they're in their own boat. The critical step is to get in their boat. Amen. Get in their boat. Step into their bubble. Be part of their lives. And if it feels like you're imposing your presence <laughs> in their life, it's okay, back off, take it gentle. You know, it's not like you're going to force your way into someone's life. No, just be present. Be interested in their good. Sympathize with their needs. And show love. So how do I do this? How do I get into somebody's boat? Can I give you six ways? Okay, just write this down very, very quickly. We'll just wrap this up. The practical side of getting into somebody's boat. Six Ps, okay? Six Ps. P number one, prayer. Pray for that person. You are your heart is turned to somebody and you're like, how do I get into that person's boat? You've written down that name. Maybe it's your son. Maybe it's your daughter. Maybe it's someone that you want to, to grow in the faith. How do I get, you know, how, how do I help disciple this person? First, pray. Get into their boat through prayer. In other words, it's not just your presence that needs to be felt. You're praying for God's presence to be felt in their life, okay? So that's the first P. Keep them present in your mind through prayer. All right, second one is in person. 
in person. Have FaceTime. Face-to-face contact that's outside of the church setting. What? Outside of the church setting? (laughs) Yeah, outside of the church setting. We live lives seven days of the week, right? (laughs) Yeah, why not connect with one another outside of church? There's somebody that, you know, you're wanting to mentor along. Call them up, you know. Connect with them in person. Have FaceTime. Whether it's at home, go to their workplace. Everybody eats, so why not eat together? Okay? So prayer, in person. Third one, phone. Okay? That's the third P, phone. That starts with a P-H-O-N-E. I know it doesn't sound like it. Okay. Phone, simple call, text message to check in, to let them know that you're praying for them. Or to even just share a simple promise. It doesn't need to be a 33-minute conversation. Nobody, nobody wants to talk with somebody every day for 30. No, I'm kidding. Maybe there are some. <laughs> okay, you can tell I'm an introvert. All right, here we go. <laughs> but phone, share a promise. Share something encouraging. Okay, prayer in person, through the phone. Fourth one, play. Play. Do something fun. Hang out. Uh, it's still warm, actually, so jump in the pool. <laughs> I don't know. Do something outside, again, outside of the church setting that's intentional fellowship in the form of fun. Why? Because you're just wanting to get into their boat. You want to know what needs they have that you can sympathize with. You want to know what they're interested in so you can show interest in that. Eventually, you want to call them to deep trust in Jesus, right? Okay, so prayer in person, through phone, through play, through the fifth one, pen. Through your pen. What do you mean? You know, in the digital age, snail mail still means a lot. Okay, (laughs) writing a card on special occasions or an unexpected card at an unexpected time. Those are the best. I don't know who was behind the conspiracy of kindness, but my mailbox got inundated this week. And I noticed that uh, the address was all written in the same handwriting. So whoever sent, anyways, thank you for the cards of, of affirmation. Um, yeah, it's news to me. October apparently is Pastor Appreciation <laughs> Thanks for that. <clears throat> and Gene, thanks for calling into the Promise FM. Crossing my fingers about entering into that, that uh, vacation, three-day vacation. Anyways, okay, so the, use the pen. Write cards to each other, you know, on special occasions, when it's the birthday, holiday, when they're sick. Let them know that you are still in their boat. Okay, last one, last one. So prayer, person, phone, play, pen, sixth, PC. That stands for personal computer. Uh, Use technology if you so desire. If you don't, you've got five other things to lean on, (laughs) okay? But use the computer, internet, Facebook, social media, whatever. Send an email. Just, again, you're touching base. You're getting into the boat. You're showing interest in what they're interested in. Is this simple enough, yes or no? Yeah? And again, this isn't just about being nice. This is about prayerfully showing kindness. There is a difference, by the way, between being nice and being, being kind in the way Christ would call us to. Because Romans 2.4 says that the kindness of God leads us to repentance. It's powerful. When you are kind in the way God is calling you to prayerfully, you're going to get into somebody's boat. You're going to open up doors of trust. You're going to demonstrate how you live, even how you struggle. 
And eventually you're going to call them to trust Jesus with their empty nets. So, again, critical step, get into the boat. You've got a name on your paper, or maybe you just wrote down a, a blank space and you're praying for that blank space. If you're a dad, and you've got a, a, a young daughter or son in your household that you want to get into their boats. Maybe you are physically present, but you need to show genuine interest. If you're a spiritual father, spiritual mother, and, and you want to mentor somebody along, friends, don't just wait. Don't just wait for a, a church function to actually show interest. Take the step. Get into their boat. Connect. Call. Play. Do whatever it takes. Friends, I envision <laughs> that when this begins to happen, when we establish these relationships of discipleship, Guess who are going to be disciples? We all are, right? And let me flip the question again. Guess who are going to be making disciples? We are. It's not just one, two, three here or there in elected positions and offices. Amen? Amen. Wow, could it be that Jesus' commission of go therefore and make disciples of all nations? doesn't happen by one person, but by all people. Wow. I'm excited for this. Are you excited for this? And again, this is the conclusion of our five-part series, DNA of Discipleship, but this does not conclude discipleship. <laughs> it's part of our DNA. That means it dictates every expression of what we do as a church. So in my preaching, I long to disciple, but again, that's not, that's not going to replace the one-on-one in-the-boat experience, Okay. And so, let's disciple one another. Are we committed? Yeah? All right. If you want to get into someone else's boat, <laughs> I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we pray. Do you want to get into someone else's boat? By the grace of God, led by His Spirit. Amen. Let's stand together. Amen. Amen. Praise God. An army of disciple makers rising to our feet. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together now. Father in heaven, this is our desire. Not just to get into each other's boats and splash around, but to get into each other's boats so that you can prove yourself as the one we ought to follow with all of our lives. Lord, there are people all around us that are looking for disciple makers. I pray that you would give us uh, the humility and selflessness just to get over ourselves and to really invest in someone else's well-being. Lord, I pray for parents as disciple-makers in the home. Lord, give them wisdom and time to get into their kids' boats. Lord, I, I pray for those who are more spiritually mature than others, and I ask, God, that you would give us love to truly seek one another out, and get into each other's boats. Lord, I pray for maybe those of us who maybe feel like we're on the younger end of the spectrum, and I pray that you would give us, even as we're growing in the process, that you would give us a burden for someone else who does not know what we do, who has not found Jesus to be the, the Savior that we can trust. Lord, help us, give us the love for others to get into their boats. 
Thank you, Father, for calling us to essentially live out the life of Christ. And we know that this is not by might nor by power, but by your Spirit. And so we're trusting ourselves to you, God. Live out the Great Commission. Live out the example of Jesus in us today, we pray. In Jesus' saving name, let everyone say, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You're welcome again to join us for a season of prayer here in the committee room and especially for the fellowship lunch. God bless you guys.